0: You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of Splatterpictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air Knipe here with always
1: typical Lydia.
0: Today's show, we're going to be doing the 1978 Roger Corman classic piranha.
1: That's an even worse sound. You know, the the remake that we watched from like 1995, the really crummy remake, not the good remake, but the crummy one, has an exquisite piranha noise. (laughs) They reuse a lot of the uh, great shots, too. Some of the great shots we're about to talk about, talking Mm. about the original Joe Dante Inferno Piranha.
0: Joe Dante Inferno Piranha. Uh, That's absolutely incredible. I haven't thought about the 1995 remake of Piranha. Most people are familiar with the 2010 one. But fuck all that. Fuck all that. Lydia, how the fuck are you?
1: I'm really good now that we're recording. I feel like myself again. Virus? What virus? We're recording dead air.
0: We are recording dead air. Every time I looked at other people doing podcasts and they're like, we're doing podcasts on Zoom calls. We're doing podcasts via Skype. We're doing this, that, and the other thing. And I'm just like sitting here with like a pizza box on my belly, just like, oh, that's kind of a, that's a way to go. But uh, (laughs) you and I had a method. You and I had a method that we really enjoyed uh, doing and uh, we're still not doing that method. We're we have we're complying still with social distancing.
1: Yes, we are. We're we're so socially distant right now that we're still in the same city, but we are using uh, a fucked up combination of recording our own audio on our <laughs> own ends, so we'll still have that dead air quality. We hope by right the end of yeah. this, and we're both pretty damn good when it comes to. Being able to record properly, we have great mics, we have matching mics, so that is half of the battle, I think.
0: Yeah, really. And,
1: you know, maybe we didn't get to watch the movie seconds ago and sit down and hit record like we normally do, which I miss and everyone else might notice. But we have pulled this trick on you guys before, just not recording remotely. We have watched movies separately before and recorded the show. Yeah. So it's not totally foreign.
0: It's not totally foreign. Uh, The only thing that I will say is you might hear something that you're not accustomed to. Uh, I have uh, a cat on my end over here, so you might hear the cat scurrying around or whatever. But, uh, you know, it's still going to be that good old classic dead air content that I know you're all craving. People came out of the woodwork. Where's the podcast? I didn't even know they listened to it.
1: I know. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. Like, um, aside from some of our regular fans, listeners, friends, like Thomas and Chris, even, and mm-hmm. a few other people that had mentioned, like, hey, are you guys recording? Uh, there was a lot of new listeners or listeners that have been hiding. Yeah. Out of the Woodwork is quite correct. Yeah. And I, be- I believe new listeners, too, who have been holed up, perhaps, mm-hmm. or bored out of their mind. And they've d- downloaded every single episode <laughs> because yeah. we had some comments rolling in of old episodes that we were like, oh, okay, we yeah. better get back at
0: it. I, fe- I, I Every time I felt bad, but I, even before people were commenting, because like I said, it was I felt like that scene in Alien. I was like, the fire, they're coming out of the goddamn walls. I was like, oh man, I miss doing this because I know at the beginning of the year, at the beginning of 2020, you got busy, super busy. And so yep. we were going to take a little break and then all of a sudden... The world came crashing down. And we couldn't record anymore. And so we're just like, oh, this will blow over. This this will go away. And cut to August. And it still hadn't. So
1: who would have guessed? That's distressing. I believe Waxwork was our last installment of the show. Yeah. And we had planned a few other films. We did. That we're not doing the films that we planned. We're doing a whole different film because you so eloquently pointed out, we're in the middle of Stephen King-a-palooza. Yeah. But we're not doing a Stephen King movie either.
0: I know. Ah. And I felt even worse about that because I was like, Stephen King-a-palooza? I love Stephen (laughs) King-a-palooza. It's like, it would have been really cool. And I'm not saying that we won't do Stephen King movies later. Things might just get pushed back a little bit. But for now, we thought that since we're in the midst of summer, we should try a summer movie. Now, When it comes to summer movies, we have a bevy of options. We were looking at some camp slashers. I know that we hadn't uh, done uh, Madman yet, and I know that uh, that was definitely an option. There's still even Friday the 13th sequels that we haven't done. There's Sleepaway Camp uh, sequels that we've never done. There's all kinds of stuff, but why not, Lids? Take a dip in The Lost River. With 1978's Piranha, the, the nature run amuck, Jaws ripoff, amongst a family of Jaws ripoff films that came out under the wake of that juggernaut of a film franchise. Uh, did you know that this movie actually came out the same year as Jaws 2?
1: I could believe that. That makes a lot of sense. And it's also like one of those films that I tend to recall with a little more love from my childhood because my mother had watched this a couple times and I was not into creature features. I was not into animal, uh, animal's attack Mm -hmm. sort of horror. She was very much into it. Mm -hmm. I've grown into it, definitely. And I I don't Mm. know if it's just that, that, you know, I'm not bulletproof anymore. I get that actual mortal fear uh, as an adult that a bear might eat me. So things like backcountry scare (laughs) me now when it would have bored me as a teen. Um, But piranha was something that I loved the the camp. There is enough camp in this movie. And that was what stuck with me mostly as a child. And the sound of the piranhas. That, of course, yeah. iconic sound that piranhas don't make. I, I, I love that. <laughs> but I loved you it gotta so make much something. More. Well, yeah. No, right. Like, they do, right? Because you can't just have frothing boiling water. That's not very scary at all, is it?
0: No. No. And yeah, Jaws, I'm me.
1: not a Jaws fan. So... I I no. really appreciate this, and I appreciate this as a pick for us for summer because it is a little more tense, and there's a lot more. I don't know. I'm just not the biggest Jaws fan, so I would be like, yawn, it's mm-hmm. not horror.
0: Yeah, Do you, like not even like Jaws two, where it's more. He's like Jaws is literally menacing teens, and he eats a helicopter. Everyone forgets about that, but I didn't. Like
1: son of Jaws, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what if there was another shark. Sharks don't take revenge. Uh, anyway, enough about Jaws. <laughs> I'm a big jaws fan, but I definitely agree that as, although people do consider it horror and I, I, I say it's definitely a B movie that that was that became like a, the first real blockbuster, but and I, I, like I don't mean to be Mr. Hot takey, but John Williams score in that film takes every bit of tension and throws it out of the fucking window that score is the thing that makes me think it's not a horror movie because any like it's so much brass it's so much bombast it's so much like like i'm watching fucking indiana jones because john williams knows how to make three different kinds of scores there's no tension there's no horror there's no tension because it's the score sucks it out in my opinion, that's my problem with Jaws. If I needed like to like make anyone hate us and yeah. close their browsers right now.
1: No, they they can hate us. Yeah, you don't think it's a horror movie that has a crappy score. I don't think it's a horror movie, and I, I it, it's slow for me. It's very but slow. I haven't watched it in a very long time, and like I've said, I'm the kind of girl now that can appreciate something like Back Country or a Grizzly Man uh, to a, on a whole different tack mm-hmm. there, but. That sort of animals attack thing mm. and having sort of a Moby Dick story retold. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would appreciate that right now as a Sunday afternoon flick. More of an, an when animals attack drama, mm. right? So Well,
0: I can tell you who definitely has, saw Jaws recently upon making this film. Roger Corman. Because all yep. of a sudden this movie comes out in 1975, not Piranha, but Jaws and makes all kinds of money, more money than anyone had ever imagined. And so when you want someone to make a movie adjacent to rip something off, and I'm using little air bunnies here, who better than Roger Corman? He is going to give you the not Star Wars with Galaxy of Terror. He is going to give you the not Jaws movie with Piranha. He is the man that's going to do it, and they're going to be titties, and there's going to be blood. And there's going to be fun. And Dick Miller, but that's really more of a Joe Dante thing.
1: Yes, that's definitely Joe Dante's fault.
0: But... <laughs> and by the way, Joe Dante, uh, as you mentioned earlier, did direct this film. I actually f- completely forgot about that, but you reminded me.
1: That was one of the, the glowing points going into this when we were weighing what to watch. If we weren't mm-hmm. going to watch The Eye, if we weren't going to watch something that was um, virus adjacent, if we weren't going to watch something that was Stephen King if we weren't going to watch a camp slasher. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was what kind of sold me on this because I hadn't seen this since I was a kid. I'd only seen bits and pieces. I was more familiar with the the 95 remake now that I rewatched it and the remake remake, mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: which I saw in theater actually, which was super fun. Oh. But uh, yeah, I um Joe Dante and I was actually very interested once i started hearing because as soon as we sat down and watch it i watched it with chris and he said hey this is a Manfredini score so we had to look it up mm-hmm. and it was uh pino Donaggio mm-hmm. and his score is amazing he's worked with joe dante as well on a lot of other films so the score in this if you if you need a good score to make a when fish attack <laughs> film or when sea mammals attack film make more sense to you, then here we go. This is fantastic. If Pino Donaggio had scored Jaws, it would have went over like gangbusters.
0: Yeah, but fuck all that, Lydia. What is this movie even about anyways?
1: It is about don't fuck in the woods, don't swim naked in the pool, don't step in the piranha pool, because you and your little boyfriend are going to be turned into bones
0: <laughs> so little bones that they think it's a dog
1: carcass i know right oh well, she was just a tiny tiny chick so let's probably that or their bones got sluiced away and that dog fell in there afterward and the the kindly doctor didn't get there quick enough
0: yeah um the, the, this movie is buck wild it's predicated on the idea that what if the military thought that they could weaponize piranha for their wars in a lot of river-based places it kind of reminds all
1: the wars all the wars
0: it's like imagine you guys if we could just kill people with fish i think that that logic only go so far but they do it all the time it's like and and it's not even a concept so dumb that people who spend hundreds of millions of dollars on movies don't do the exact same thing in one of the jurassic park movies that's literally what they said about the velociraptors could you imagine if we had these in afghanistan no vincent d'onofrio i can't because it's ridiculous
1: (laughs) what What, sharks with laser beams strapped to their freaking heads (laughs) There's nothing ridiculous about that. Dogs with bees in their mouths. That's what it is. It's the fucking... They're strapping bombs to the heads of dolphins every day, Wes.
0: (laughs) You know, I just... You're right. Um... This movie starts off like a lot of other um, pictures, and Roger Corman is the type of guy who who takes a lot of influence from other uh, sources and stuff like that. And he kind of like cheeses it up, and he definitely has his eye on what he's looking for. You know, another summertime movie he did, uh, Humanoids from the Deep, that he did like I think a couple of years after this. Um, again, is like just 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 wrought with it, but this idea of like you have teens skinny dipping it takes like it ta- it's the opening sequence of jaws except this is much more buck wild because i can buy teens skinny dipping on a beach what i have a harder time with is teens going into a fenced off area that says no trespassing and finding the gooshiest, greenest most unsettling water you could possibly find in a disgusting abandoned concrete swimming pool and say, let's get a dip to get clean before we get into our sleeping bags.
1: Yeah, that is pretty mental. And the beginning of this actually reminded me a heck of a lot of The Hills Have Eyes. And I'm like, have you not seen The yes. Hills Have Eyes, guys? I'm like, seriously. Yes. Do not go swimming in places or do not do anything in places that are fenced off that look like they may contain some sort of nuclear waste. I know that these piranhas are much worse, actually, than nuclear waste because you can run away from nuclear waste. Yeah. But, Yeah it is the dumbest idea and i mean the other thing that that strikes me as as awkward aside from let's go swimming in this contaminated abandoned pool Mm -hmm. with razor wire everywhere i mean (laughs) what is your first clue is is the poor man pj souls playing the female skip tracer that's hard as nails and is probably a bloodhound but she's playing a, a shark She's playing the Jaws console game. Like, not console game, but the Atari, The Atari,
0: the the one for Atari, she's playing... (laughs) She's kicking so
1: much ass. uh, She's kicking too much ass.
0: I had never heard of a skip tracer before this movie. I've never heard of anyone being a skip tracer. And audiences, the uninitiated, a skip tracer is someone who finds missing persons, but not like, oh, little Timmy, like went to go get a carton of milk for his mom and never came home it's more like adults that are either on the lam or just leave and even though it's not illegal to disappear but if you have like debts and or obligations that you're abandoning i guess you hire a skip tracer. is this like a truancy officer like i don't understand
1: Transy officer for adults. Um, I'd heard of skip tracing before because um, little known fact for a small portion of time after uh, college, I worked as a typist, a transcriptionist for a private investigator who offered this service as well. And I never did transcribe any of his interviews with people who he would have caught up with who are on the lamb, so to speak. Ah. But he did do other private investigations that I transcribed his interviews, mm-hmm. uh, which are all, of course, confidential. But
0: mm-hmm. I was
1: uh, getting into some, like, uh, Girl with a Dragon Tattoo kind of kind of stuff. I was, uh, I, that movie had just come out, and I'm like, hey, that's kind of like what I do. But uh, it was short-lived, mm-hmm. I will admit.
0: Yeah, that's wild. So when uh, the skip tracer, Maggie, goes
1: off she finds fucking Grizzly Adams and <laughs> Paul Grogan Paul Grogan is in in this one and the remake he's a very different very very different person because they clean up the remake a lot they make it a lot less sexist a lot more feminist and they they really blindside themselves doing that because it just becomes a farce in a lot of ways because there's kind of nothing wrong with Paul Grogan he is a Grizzly Adams drunk
0: period he is yeah he's Grizzly Adams drunk like the a rampant alcoholic, who's got a daughter who's uh, at a nearby camp. Um, he likes to live up in a cabin by himself, and this woman basically just says, "Hey, I need you as a guide." Even though I guess he's really only she's really only going up the road farther where there's this old abandoned military base, where the teens were last spotted, I suppose, and they get there. And it's essentially, like, like, I felt, I kept seeing, feeling like you would see, like, that, um, was that that monkey rat thing from Dead Alive in it? Like, there's all these little, like, critters, like, stop animation critters and stuff like that running around. It's this secret laboratory where they've done a lot of uh, gene splicing and kind of concoct, like, weird, like, hybrid animals and shit. And their idea is they want to drain the water because i don't know maybe they drowned or maybe they're in there or something like that but by doing so you get a fucking doctor in the box just fucking fly out of nowhere it's like don't do it but they incapacitate him.
1: i like that during this whole scene because maggie has found uh, a necklace belonging to the girl that has gone missing so she has a really good Uh, indication that they are there and there may be more it's probably their clothes that they're looking for not their bodies or something
0: yeah because they found their packs and stuff right
1: yeah with their with their discarded clothes but while the doctor is attacking them with like a a hook like a fishing hook or something or like a rescue hook Mm -hmm. there's like these little creatures these little uh harryhausen-esque creatures that are like looking at the action and sort of like almost acting like gremlins, like they're peeking around corners and stuff and <laughs> scuttling around, but no one mentions them and they don't revisit. Yeah. And I don't know if all the sequels have legged piranha men creature children. They
0: fly in the in was it spawning season or whatever the second one they can fly. Yeah, like
1: yeah that that one I have uh, did see and I ha- was waiting for their evolution because. Mm-hmm. They don't really go back to this, these creatures.
0: they don't. And not only do they not really go back to the creatures, they don't seem surprised at them at all. They look at them in the same way that you might see lab rats. I was like, guys, these are not animals that are found on earth.
1: And fish don't have legs.
0: They fish don't. don't have legs. They don't and mm-hmm. they don't they don't walk around like fucking gizmo. And shit, just like, like, it makes no conceivable sense. But yeah, you're right. They don't go back that. And conceivably, the only person that was still there that was taking care of them was this doctor that they've just whammied with, uh, you know, whatever the fuck that she knocked them out with. And then this doctor comes to and he wants nothing to do with it because he's freaking out that they drained the water. They don't quite understand what he's done, but he's gonna skip town in their car, which he drives for about five minutes before crashing.
1: Which is a really interesting plot device because you have like that's one thing I really do like about the beginning of this movie Mm -hmm. is that it moves. It fucking moves. And whether you're interested in Maggie as a as a human or not, because she's adorable. She has a cool face. I love her face. But yeah. um she's not very believable and she's a little bit too she has too much moxie. She's too young. I don't know what it is about her that just comes yeah. in the wrong well, way. They can't but they, either way.
0: They can't seem to they can't seem to decide whether she's quirky and incompetent or super competent at her job. Like it seems to be a mixture of both yeah. because she's like Forgetful, She's kind of bobble-headed. But at the same time, she is really determined and is really good at her job. But I'm just like, well, you can't have it both ways.
1: No, you put that and couple that with a drunk that is a, one note. He is one note. He is a Grizzly Adams drunk. Yeah. You put them two together up against this doctor who definitely takes the upper hand twice immediately. Yeah. And it's only dumb luck that they knock him out in a way. Mm-hmm. And then... He steals their jeep. Like the movie would end there if he just drove away. Yeah, <laughs> no. The end of the movie. So he kind of needs to crash, but they do it well because he's he's being knocked out. You know, yeah. I wouldn't be able to drive a jeep very well either after that.
0: Me either, and I think that it's um, coming from this space of like, you're right. The movie does need to move, and so they move because these characters now, if you were to break down the plot. These this trio of characters job is to get up the river because once they understand that these piranha have been released into the wild, they know that well, there's all kinds of people because they've already encountered a dead person. Grizzly Adam type guys friend that we meet at the beginning of the movie. He gets eaten. His dog doesn't get eaten, though, which is uh you know, I'm sure a lot of animal lovers would uh, would appreciate that. But no, um, what do you want to say about the level of violence in this movie? Because they go for it in some places where I think that, like, a film in the late '70s could go, which I think they might shy away from nowadays, in which no one is safe in these movies. So they did that in Grizzly too, like a kid dies in Grizzly. Um, yeah, but in this movie, and
1: and it's not unnoticed because he, he sort of teases you with it it's not like that one lone kid out where they ought not be and they're going to get ravaged and it's you know not shown or anything like that they really tease us later with like a bunch of screaming kids in the pool entice or in the pool in the water enticing mm-hmm. uh these fish that are in a frenzy and we know that and it and it, he sort of gets teased and pulled away a couple times before the, the fish Whoa. are unleashed on a, a huge amount of children all at once. And it's quite bloody. And we know what the fish are capable of thanks to this old drunk guy and his dog. Because uh, I don't know if you've ever been out in cottage country, as it were. Yeah. Like we're surrounded by the shit.
0: We are, yeah.
1: And heard of or been bitten by a muskie or muscalunge. Mm. Uh, have you ever had a muskie? Have you ever seen a muskie in real life?
0: I'm going to say no.
1: Okay. I've seen somebody who caught a muskie and they came up on shore with it. They were holding it by its eyes. They'd plunged um, their middle finger and thumb into its eyes because that's the only way you can hold a muskie. And he was a grown-ass man. He was like your size, Wes, holding the muskie over his head as high as he could. And its tail was dragging along on the ground. Wow. Wow. This fish was bigger around than any of the thickest parts of my body had its (laughs) thickest part. It was huge. It was a massive, massive thing, and it wasn't the biggest muskie they had seen. There's a muskie corpse in this um, store in my hometown that has a full-grown pike's body inside it, because when they caught the muskie, it had the pike in it. Wow. And they uh, put it in formaldehyde or whatever, so you've got this the the spine and bone of a muskie with the spine and bones of a full-grown pike inside it's the weirdest thing they are massive fucking fish now trout lake in north bay is is kind of famous in a way that if little kids will be dangling their toes on the dock a muskie might come up and bite their toes. Oh. So I grew up with this very present danger, right? Have you ever heard of muskies biting kids' toes?
0: No, I've never heard of it.
1: Oh, my God. See, uh, <laughs> I don't know if it's... North Bay has a very deep, cold lake. And yeah. they are very big, primordial fish. Like, they're dinosaur fish. Mm-hmm. Like, celiocanth or something like that. Mm-hmm. So... It's it's it is rare, but it has happened enough that, yeah. And dogs have got like people at the end of a dock with their little tiny dog, and all of a sudden a musky comes up and, yeah, yeah. They're like the sharks of northern Ontario. So I grew up with that. So seeing this old man being having been ravaged after dragging himself from the dock where he got chewed on by piranha, Mm -hmm. that is kind of chilling to me because that is a real sort of thing that could really conceivably happen at your cottage.
0: It could, I mean, I've seen some pretty big fish at my cottage. I've seen some pretty big old catfish, some pretty big bass. Uh, we do have, uh, we got pike in, the, in in the lake. Nothing that I would really be afraid of, perhaps ignorantly, like, yeah, because, you know, the fish, like, generally speaking in my area to the water isn't all that deep. My lake does get pretty deep towards up in the far end of it. But where where I am, it's not that deep. We got a drop off, but there's still a 10 to 15 foot radius before the drop off of, of where my uh, little property is.
1: Well, if you have pike and a drop-off, I'll bet you have a muskie in there, too, probably.
0: It's possible. I've just never seen one. And uh, my my dad and his friends were avid fishermen, and I never heard him really saying much about it. But that doesn't mean that it's not there. It's pretty interesting, although I'll tell you who is afraid of muskie bites. That little girl from who? the
1: camp. <laughs> oh, the the child of the damned? Yeah. <laughs> that one tiny village of the damned kid? <laughs> yeah.
0: She is too afraid. She, now, listen, if she doesn't get in the water lids, no swimming badge for her. And that is who cares about that? Well, like, if, if you're afraid to get in the water, do you care about a badge?
1: <laughs> no. And I was, I, I definitely pulled that same trick. Like, do, do I really need to have this badge? Yeah. I, I'd just rather sit here on the shore. Thanks. Why is she so scared of the water?
0: Um, I, I'm just going to guess it's a general phobia. I wouldn't say that it's because of, of some sort of like premonition or, or something like that. I just genuinely think that she just has, she uh, has a phobia of the water. She doesn't like, I don't like deep water myself. Like I don't really like water where I can't really see the bottom because then I think that there is going to be like a giant fish or something like that. That's going to just swallow me whole and, uh, and then I would be, you know, down for the count, but I'm guessing that it's just that because I know a lot of the people that are, that are really uncomfortable around the water don't like to get in it, particularly uh, lake water, which is just so full of muck and seaweed and just, you know, there's so much down there. I mean, there's whole areas of a lake that you could step in and you would be still meters from the bottom, even though it looks like the bottom of the lake. Because there's just so much fallen trees and branches and and uh, dead leaves and all that kind of gunk and shit.
1: It's those big branches where the muskies hide, Wes. That's
0: that's genuinely terrifying to me. Like that fish you were describing, I'm just like, oh, I hope there's none of that in that fucking lake.
1: Well, there was a, an attack like not a week ago. It was the 29th of July this year. A girl from Winnipeg was a bit in Minaki, Ontario. And she'll have to have plastic surgery and she says it was like an alligator. And she just something had her leg and she started screaming and it pulled her under the water. And Oh my god. The, the thing is that she just thought it was an alligator, which totally blew her mind. And yeah, she has no intentions of swimming for a while, that's for sure. But yeah. Super rare. Wow. And it didn't just nibble on a kid's toes, it chomped on a full grown woman's leg. And the bite size, I'll tell you, is like almost the entire circumference of her calf. It's quite the fish bite. Uh, That is... So this little blonde girl, she has reasons, man. Like, it just (laughs) could be that she can't see the bottom. They're expecting them to swim to a certain point in this bay and back again. And that could be, like, a drop-off. Like, yeah. They don't get into it. And that's what bothers me about it is that they, they they don't really explain why she's afraid of the water.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I guess, like, I guess you just chop it up to, like, eh, she's just a little cowardly kid.
1: But she lived on the edge of the water all of her life. Like, I, well, most of her life. I don't know what the relationship is between her mom and her dad. But he, that is the big impetus of getting downstream to chase these piranhas because... His little girl is at summer camp downstream.
0: And then, lids, like Huckleberry Finn, he fucking grabs a raft. (laughs) He's got a river raft. raft. Yeah. Could you think of anything less efficient (laughs) to get up the river? If you
1: want to learn anything about piranhas and fish, you're shit out of luck with this movie because it's all made up. But if you want to learn about watercraft, you've (laughs) got a sparkling example of every kind known to man in this film you really do this raft is pretty cool though i mean if you watch the remake not the cool remake but the not cool remake they've got a raft too but it is shoddy this raft on the other hand it is a grizzly adams approved it is a fantastic piece of watercraft machinery
0: it is you could probably get away from a grizzly bear in it
1: yes it beats a gondola (laughs) for sure
0: this is where we get a little bit more of the plot what the professor is essentially saying to them is that these piranha were bioengineered to become weapons for the military and it is also them implying that he and the other scientists that would have worked on it are contributing to something that is dangerous that is killing innocent people. Not to belabor the point, but as this is happening, innocent people are dying. Little Billy Bobby and his daddy out fishing and every, like, like, it all starts off the same. Someone is dangling their arm or their foot or their like whatever into the water and they're just happier than pigs and shit or people in water not really caring about anything and then all of a sudden you just get this shot of the fish piranhas and then the the bubbly hot tub of blood that then happens my
1: favorite thing about these piranhas is they must weigh a lot because as soon as your hand is engulfed with the piranhas you can't pull your arm out of the water
0: no, you can't. Like, you know, what happens when you something would bite your finger? You go, ow, and you pull your finger away. Not these people. They're just like, ow. And, <laughs> and they dip I'm down. I'm going to stick
1: my arm in the sarlacc pit.
0: Yeah, it was like, wait a second, my arm's getting eaten. Hang on a second, I'll just pull my arm out with my face. <laughs> <laughs> but you need a reason, right? It's like in Puppet Master, you know, someone's Achilles tendon's got to get cut. Because otherwise, how do, yeah. the, how do these puppets kill people? You need to get to the juicy, gushy head. Um, because, by the way, people can take quite a lot of damage from these piranhas. It's not like you die instantly. They can get bit for minutes at a time, and yeah, they're pretty. Their their flesh is ripped pretty raw, but you're not dead. Like uh, you just might. It'd be like that woman who got her head eaten by the monkey. Uh, She's not dead, but uh, well, geez, uh, that's rough footage. They come across the kid because dad
1: is dead now. They come across him on their raft. Now, is there not a raft in the burning?
0: (laughs) No. (laughs) Well, okay, okay. yes, there is a raft in the burning, but no, it's not the same type of thing. But it's uh, still a
1: pretty tense scene.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It is. It is.
1: Yeah, This is a pretty tense scene and it reminds me a little bit of the raft scene in Creepshow um, in a little bit of a way because there's not that something's coming up through the raft, but they they rescue this young boy and they mm-hmm. they want to bring him onto the raft, but the, the piranhas are, I guess, frenzying. I don't know why they couldn't just wait one more minute to get closer to the boat.
0: The professor, has, yeah, he has to jump in. It kind of reminds me of um, there's this scene in the movie Volcano where, like, the guy, like, is going to rescue a dude from the back of a subway as liquid hot magma is going all over the place. And he's holding the guy and he's just, like, jumps into the fucking lava and then (laughs) starts sinking as he's burned alive. And then with all of his might, he throws the person he's rescuing and then he just like sinks below the magma, like uh, like some kind of uh, fucking supervillain. This is kind of the same thing because the the doctor does die trying to rescue this kid who wasn't really in danger of falling in. Like he kind of was, but by the time the 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 the, the doctor sw- jumps dives into the water and gets to him, the kid is just on the back of an overturned boat, and he seems okay. But they do pull him, they, they, they rescue the kid. They do pull the doctor uh, out of the water. He's he, They swaddle him in denim, which doesn't seem to work because he dies.
1: <laughs> Just the, the, the mental image. I saw the actual image, but the mental image that you've put in my head now of someone being swaddled in denim to help <laughs> From their animal attack, of course it wouldn't work.
0: It keeps it keeps you from going into shock. You didn't know that.
1: No wonder it's such a popular tuxedo fabric here in northern Ontario. Yeah,
0: let's see a musky bunch of that.
1: Oh Jesus Christ. Oh my god. Well, I clearly don't wear enough denim these days.
0: I'm telling you, man. It's like and it has to be I'm bl- a sitting duck. It has to be has to be blue denim. It has to be like a baby blue dad denim like a robin's egg.
1: Does it have to have that lamb's wool sort of collar too? Does that yeah, that helps that staunch the bleeding. That's part of it. <laughs> Unreal. Yeah, it doesn't seem to help because just as soon as they're going to ask him how do we stop them, he dies. He
0: he does the thing where he his eyes are open. He closes his eyes and then turns his head to the side and opens his eyes again. He's like, now I'm dead. The body being on the raft is a bit of a problem though because after a time he's bleeding into the water and it's frenzying the piranhas. And so they start beating. Meanwhile, they have this kid on there who's like holding on to the doctor's body. And um, then they're just like, they just pitch his dead ass overboard.
1: Yeah. And they kind of have to, because the blood is feeding the frenzy of the piranhas. And I don't know much about piranhas. Like I do know that they must weigh about, Oh, 48 pounds each because of the way that they pull a person into the into the water when they've started biting on them uh-huh. but they are hyper intelligent as well because they begin undoing the knots of the raft because we thought we were done with the raft tension here mm-hmm. um, not at all and this is actually kind of a cool scene although it does go on a little bit long and I start wondering like, how many logs are on this raft how big was this raft to begin with Was I, was I did I underestimate the size of this gigantic raft Mm -hmm. because the the piranhas start undoing the lashing and the raft starts falling apart as they're coming close to the shore and then everyone does just jump to safety at the last moment so Mm -hmm. it's it's kind of interesting in that it works attention Mm -hmm. i like this scene but it does go on quite a bit long that it becomes camp comical and this is one of those inadvertent moments of camp in this film Mm -hmm. aside from like skinny dipping teens which is just a campy scene to begin with uh and uh, i want to keep calling her the the poor man's pj souls playing video games you know that sort of stuff it's laughable now
0: (laughs) it's funny because oh my god she is like a she is like pj (laughs) souls
1: It would have been better with PJ Souls, but hey. I'm Everything's
0: better Thinking with of PJ Souls. Totally. But uh, <laughs> there's another plot brewing, Lydia, in this film. Because you know that when big military is involved, they're going to want to keep shit under wraps. They're going to want to make sure no one's talking. You know? And they're also going to want to make sure that while people are not talking, they're enjoying a time at a a, a Riverside uh, vacation spot for some reason that they're also (laughs) put money into.
1: Well, this giant resort, like this is almost another plot, which is a good thing that not only do we have action, the migration of the piranhas, the Mm -hmm. young girl in peril, uh, where all of her campmates are about to get chomped on. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have all of this driving us forward. We have um, a huge dam that they're racing to stop because when the water level hits sea level, they open up this dam or whatever, and or when it's above sea level, they open up this dam so that they can level out the water of the man-made lake and the river and the man-made lake is on the resort. So it's multi-layered. Like It's very good writing mm-hmm. this way. Um, so there is land development involved and the land developer is who had inadvertently hired the skip tracer because it is a relative of theirs that had gone missing in the first place, but they want all that. Yes. Kept quiet. Cause not only are there weapons grade piranhas on the loose, <laughs> they have a rich person's resort to sell this weekend, yeah. And
0: that person is run by rich Texan doesn't sound Texan, Like like he's from Texas or ever been to Texas, Dick Miller, which is great. It was great seeing him. It's interesting to see him show up so late in the movie and have like a pretty big role Uh, afterwards. It's not like, you know, like, you know, you put Dick Miller and like Joe Dante loved using him for all all kinds of things. And anytime that Dick Miller would show up in, you know, like The Howling or whatever, it's always great to see him in a little cameo. But this is like a recurring character that you know they even kind of button on towards the end when you have all of these plots sort of driving you up the river it is very chaotic in a good way the main characters are always one step ahead or one step behind everything that's going on which is really great because there's so much to keep track of so right now the primary focus is can you get to your daughter's camp in time because not only is her daughter at camp like why we don't have to worry about her being in the water Well, there's a big swimming competition
1: big swimming competition
0: yeah with the like uh, the lead counselor is such a weird character who I can't tell if he's super good at his job or if he's an asshole like or both because on the one hand he doesn't want you know Grizzly Adams bothering his kid at the camp because he thinks he's drunk. Like, get some sleep. Fuck off, basically. Like, get out of here, so he won't listen to any phone calls. But the other hand, he's like yelling at kids and calling them cowards and shit. But he's also saying like guts, guts. Like you have to like make sure you can get into that water and don't be afraid. So it's like very old school,
1: like a drill sergeant that got repurposed to be a camp counselor.
0: Yeah, where he was just like, hey, this is like I'm a drill sergeant and this is how we do it in the military, and so I'm not going to tolerate. Uh, what's the what the great line he has? We people eat fish fish don't eat people. And so his character is pretty hilarious. There's also like uh, other camp counselors there. It wouldn't be a Roger Corman movie without some like jiggly girls sort of running around
1: jiggly girls, you know, in the 1995 remake, not only do we have uh, Billy there from uh, Carrie, we have Soleil Moon Fry, my hero, Punky Brewster. Whoa, Punky
0: Brewster, all grown up and Punky Brewster. (laughs) She she grew up. She
1: is a jiggly girl.
0: Oh, my God. I had such a crush on Punky Brewster when I was a little kid. I used to watch. uh, I think I did, too. Yeah, right. Like, especially like, you know, when I was a kid and then by the time I was a kid, they were running. I think it was still in syndication. Like, I'm pretty sure that that show was old news by the time I could remember TV. But it was her as a teenager, and I was, like, younger than a teen. I was, like, maybe 10 or 11, and I would just watch that show and just crush on Punky Brewster as a teenager so hard. And I would, like, watch it every day because I'd be like, oh, Punky Brewster, this show is really weird. She was
1: the coolest kid on the entire planet. (laughs) So. If only we had Punky Brewster in this one, that would have been the best of both worlds. But we have, you know, these sort of like, on one hand, they're a little bit absentee. They want to be teenagers, too. These counselors are like mm-hmm. older teens. So they want to go skinny dipping or get with the guys or like whatever it is they want to do. Probably smoke a joint and fuck on a waterbed like in pieces or something. But they <laughs> want to go. Wow, well, that's what that's what camp counselors do, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, but they, they want to go for a swim just to kind of blow off some steam because the kids are asleep and they really appreciate. And I can, I can totally relate to mm-hmm. being a camp counselor. And when all the kids are gone, it's nice. <laughs> it really it's is. Nice. But their drill sergeant of a camp boss won't let them really have a moment because there's some weird screaming going on down the river, and they're just ignoring all those weird noises. They don't go in the water. Luckily. It's not till the next day that all these ridiculous children are in their ridiculous tubes because it's not necessarily a swimming contest like I would like it to be or for a badge, we're led to believe. It's them paddling around on inner tubes.
0: Yeah, and it seemed to be kind of um, not a a relay race. What do you call that? Baton pass. It's like you are in the inner tube and you're supposed to kick out to someone waiting to get back and you're handing off a baton to them. And I was like, what is this? What is this swimming drill? And the counselor, he's got a a starter pistol and everything, right? Like it's serious business, Uh, but it doesn't seem like they're it's
1: serious business to him. This is a bunch of screaming children on inner tubes kicking around like fools. That's what it really is. It's not a contest. It's a mess.
0: And they're going to aggravate those piranha and they do.
1: One thing I really like about this, aside from just all their little butts getting nipped, because that's hilarious. I don't care who you are, <laughs> it is hilarious. But um, that it's the threat that they would pop the inner tubes, and like yeah. there's these kids are relatively safe on the inner tubes. And we've been teased a couple times about there's something in the water. The kids are in the water, like the sort of like back and forth has been played, and we've been kind of teased with this idea and probably holding out hope, most people, that there's no way they would go there. There's no way that they would have these kids eaten by fish, right? Mm
0: -hmm. And they definitely do. It's actually... I always use Grizzly as the example of nature run amok where they kill a kid. But I think this movie actually goes for it a little harder because in Grizzly, I'm pretty sure they just find the kid. They find the kid that's been killed. This actually... Is showing kids getting terrorized and eaten, and then later on, you know, we have dead kid bodies with like bloody towels over them to to hide the body and shit like that. Because by the time Oh, because by the way, you know, um little girl who's afraid to go in the water, she doesn't go. She's actually hiding under a boat. Not a bad like, I'm just gonna hide under some coats and wait for this whole thing to blow over. Like it's not it's it's not a bad strategy if you don't want to get into the water and no one seems to notice. She the only people that were kind to her were the the teen girl camp counselors and they're stuck out in the inner tubes because they were busy trying to get kids out of the water. And even the guy who's a bit of an asshole but like, you know, you can't tell if he's good at his job. He's in the water getting bit trying to get kids out of the water. So, you know, he's not a bad guy and and shit like that. But uh yeah, everyone Like Maggie and them arrive too late, but barely too late. And then it's kind of what could easily be the end of the story in the sense that like he wanted to get to his kid. He wanted to get to his kid. Well, he got to his kid. His kid's okay, but a lot of people died. They're going to do that almost beat for beat, but this time with adults.
1: We know what they can do. We know what these piranhas can do. So when they're leading into that scene and we're seeing the same sort of beats, we're seeing the inner tubes. We're seeing people's butts in the water. We're seeing people uh, squealing and having fun. And they do this in Jaws. Of course, they're ripping off a lot of the best parts of, of Jaws, too. Yeah. With people in the water making people having fun in the water noises, which aren't much different than people getting eaten the water noises to start with.
0: And meanwhile, while a lot of people know that there's trouble coming... Like uh, Dick Miller's character is basically like the mayor from Jaws where he's like, everything's fine. We're going to keep everything open. Everything costs a lot of money. So we want people to like be here and have a good time so we can make some money. And the colonel who was in charge of the whole military operation, he has invested money into this beach resort. And it's got all these kinds of like fair attractions in it, basically, it's like there's like swimming pigs and chickens and like, what is this fucking place? Popular is what it is because a lot of people show up. But the colonel that we were introduced to, plus the, the I'm going to call her the evil scientist. I guess we only know that she's evil because she's British.
1: <laughs> yeah. Barbara Steele, actually. Yeah, which Barbara is, Steele. Is wild to me. She does a hair flip at one point, which is side splitting. It is the most... Like these inadvertent campy moments where she does this ridiculous hair flip, and her hair is just a little too short for it, and it's like, oh man, if we could dial you back ten years,
0: yeah, that
1: that would play, but it's it's just not it's just not sticking. Yeah, hitting the mark.
0: Well, I mean, you know, Joe Dante was just like, listen, I love Black Sunday. You gotta you gotta come back. Yeah, right. Yeah,
1: which is it was wonderful to see her, and she has what you'd have to say like the evil genius glare. She truly does.
0: Oh yeah, she is vamping like crazy, and her character is basically just there to toe the line. Whereas uh, the earlier doctor, he was he was more like, "Don't blame me, don't blame me." It's like we were out of we we did what we were supposed to do, but like you know, it's out of control. They're too dangerous, and she's just like, "Yes, but how can we keep using them?" Blah 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 blah. Again, like it's almost like these characters, like the Colonel Barbara Steele they all show up towards the midway point of the movie. Meanwhile, like Maggie and them, they get like arrested and there's this whole sequence of events that are keeping them from getting to their destination, which is why they're always behind. They're always trying to convince everybody that the piranhas are dangerous or that they can get around this dam, which seems to be what everyone thinks is fine because the piranha are isolated in one area of the river. They can't expand past that. And then not only that, but they're freshwater
1: fish. But wait a second, Wes. I just remembered something from the very beginning of the movie that no one seemed to notice. And I totally forgot till just now because I'm a drunk asshole. (laughs) They were breeding them to be fucking freshwater fish and saltwater fish so they can get to the ocean. In fact, they probably want to get to the ocean to flex.
0: And then... Like salmon, and then there'll be no stopping them. I always love the, the direness of like, there'll be no stopping them. Like, there's like, listen, if this happens, there'll be no stopping these fucking fish. I was just like, you could not be in the water. That'll stop them. Unless the sequel, <laughs> yeah, right. the sequel is like, well, now they can fly. <laughs>
1: well yeah no it is uh, two sequels later but like we saw one with legs right so we know that there's no stopping them but they don't know that so it's doubly funny when they say stuff like that because yeah. it makes no sense and they're just being dramatic
0: yeah it's kind of like um the dramaticness of um fuck the the lake placid remember that movie where like that like and i just why does everyone keep getting into going into the the water in this movie and why does everyone think like a big crocodile is as dangerous as it is stop feeding it like ah, anyway
1: (laughs) (laughs) no i love this and and one thing that this movie does have going for it is that it stops short of having this ahab the giant whale relationship of almost like love of the one that got away kind of feeling like none of the doctors have that they also don't have the um uh, perfect organism, sort of revenants yeah. Yeah. of these beautiful piranha. Like they don't have, they it stops short mm-hmm. of that. It, they are simply yeah. a commodity or a weapon or something like that. Yeah. and they're not looking to kill the children. Like, they don't have a really malicious uh, drive behind them other than money and orders. You know, mm-hmm. they're behaving sort of like Nazi generals. Like, I've been ordered to do this. This is mm-hmm. these are my marching orders. That one, the female doctor, though, I like her a lot better as far as an evil genius, because as much as I'm glad this movie stays away from it, it's also what the movie needs.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like, do you remember back when we did The Nest? There was a a similar character in that, but she was definitely like in the realm of like, ah, these Mutant cockroaches of the perfect organism. It was that. Yes. Which I think became touting... Perfect organism was something that started in the late 70s, which this movie counts as a late 70s movie, but, like, it really comes to fruition like you know they talk about jaws being like a perfect organism that's 75 and then this and 78 and then alien in 79 and then and, and then it really bleeds over into the 1980s and then it's all about it's almost got like a weird eugenics vibe to it because we're trying to imprint more stuff onto these creatures to get through so we can start controlling what nature has already made perfect for us in a weird way but there's also like this environmental aspect to it with um particularly piranha it's it's sort of like reverse reverse environmentalism <laughs> when we get towards the end of the movie i, I think i think the, the point that i'm getting at though is is that as a source of terror i think when you're using wild animals or any sort of like other than a human if it's some sort of creature or monster movie like i think to like build terror to sort of build the formality or the formidability of uh of a creature you have to kind of use that dialogue right don't you you kind of have to be like it's it's a perfect organism which to me is such a vague statement i never really know what characters really ever mean by that because every animal is kind of a miracle of fucking engineering right the fact that like humans exist is kind of ridiculous right like like any any sort of complex uh organism is is a miracle in a weird sense uh, of science and nature uh sorry i didn't mean to get on this whole fucking tangent i just started thinking about that when we were talking about like dialogue that says perfect organisms even though they don't say that no and that's
1: (laughs) that's <laughs> probably why I yeah they stop short of that but I mean they also don't just dumb it right down like it's something like the rats where they're just like oh my god they're the size of dogs there's so many of them what are we going like it's not they're not perfect they're fucking stinking grody rats but there's so many of them and they're so big and they're so hungry and they're so bloodthirsty like they they don't just dumb it down to that extent either like it mm-hmm. hits a pretty nice balance of like mm-hmm they are feral they are bred to do this they are bred with an extra advantage and there's no stopping them (laughs) it's true but but they don't like dumb it down either to something like that i kept thinking like the bats the cats the rats like those are all the things that are sort of like even the birds like it's something where it's not a perfect organism they're just doing what they're programmed to do by nature but there's so many of them and mm. they're bigger or they're stronger or they're faster just by nature
0: I think also yeah. that came out this year was the swarm bees bees in a building Lydia have you ever seen anything more scary
1: no the only thing I've ever really seen that was more scary aside from that musky skeleton with the pike in it was um, a snake ball or what do you call them that uh, it's a like a mating ball of yeah, snakes. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I know what you're talking about, yeah.
1: Uh, I used to know what this is called, but... Uh, oh, man. Yeah, a grody old snake ball. I um, well, There was an old abandoned well behind my grandmother's house, and there was a p- big piece of uh, corrugated metal covering it. And me and a young friend of mine had gone, like, we were searching around the property board, and we flipped it over, and there was a snake ball. Oh, oh. my God. I still get... Freaked out just thinking about that. That's probably the worst thing. So, a house full of bees, I can handle. Well, full of snakes, no.
0: What about in Mosquito, where they're mosquitoes but they're big?
1: Uh, no, there's a little kid story about that. Like uh, some horror stories for rotten kids or something. When I was yeah. younger, there was a mosquito that carried a girl away
0: <laughs> to do who knows what.
1: Drink all of her blood. Oh, my God. Pump it into another kid. That's always my biggest fear is that you're going to get someone else's blood from a mosquito.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, they spread disease that way, right? They just, like, take a big swig of your blood and spit in someone else's face. Real disrespectful like.
1: See, it's a good thing that this movie didn't take place in AIDS culture because then we would have a huge fear of all of the different, or coronavirus culture, because there would be uh, all this plasma in the water. And even yeah. just being in the water, you're susceptible to something, right? Like
0: I do like that. It's a really great image to have a person flailing in agony while this pool of blood just grows larger and larger and larger around them. Um, it's really distressing because it also makes you think that like people are bleeding way more than they are because once it gets all mixed up in the water, it's just this huge pool of blood. And so people look really, really in dire straits. Um, By the time the piranhas get to this um, resort, and I keep using the term resort somewhat reluctantly, there's something about all of this stuff being on fresh water that makes it seem stranger to me that people would like. I understand that, like, you know, we come from cottage country. So, like, there's people go fishing and they go swimming and all, and, and freshwater lakes that look exactly like the river does in Piranha. I think the difference is like when I start seeing like scuba divers and I start seeing people like jet skiing and stuff like that, I start thinking of, oh, that seems, this seems more like we should be watching something in an ocean front, not so much a lakefront or a riverfront you know what i'm saying like i don't know if that's just the way like my head just thinks like oh inner tubes and color and all this kind of stuff and there's something so dark and murky and cold looking about fresh water particularly in like lakes and cottage country and all that kind of stuff that it just seems less I don't know what I'm looking for here but it just seems strange to me that people would like go go scuba diving rec- rec- recreationally when there's not like a vast coral reef or something like that.
1: Yeah, because we do know that most of these freshwater lakes and it doesn't really matter where you are, I don't think there's a silty, weird, weedy bottom yeah. to it. It's not anything to see and it's not very comfortable. Yeah. And it's uh, Assuming you yeah, can it's see not it all fast enough. Yeah. yeah, and you can only fit so many people in these smaller lakes and I think that a lot of that comes from a lot of the cottage country I know of. People are they, they look down upon the, the boisterous uh, behavior of too many jet skis. And they oh, look yeah. down oh, on yeah. wind sailing or anything that is, well, not wind sailing so much, but like um, sometimes water skiing, it depends on the lake. There can be a, a group of cottages, a community that doesn't allow powered boats on their lakes.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I dated someone whose cottage didn't allow for speedboats on the lake or anything like that. Uh, my my lake does allow it, I think. But man, when uh, when my father was still alive, he used to grumble at every single person who was on like a Sidhu who would like be zooming up and down the lake. And he would just, he would just like, oh, it's like, we're losing the lake, losing the lake. Because he didn't like the large waves that it would make because it would like start degrading the, the shoreline. So in his mind, in his mind, he was like, this lake is for little like paddle boats and little motor boats, like aluminum boats. And maybe, maybe like a pontoon boat, like where it's just where, you know, like you and your like, we're a bunch of grandmas are just like sitting there playing bridge on the boat while someone drives it around like those types of big things. But like, no speed boats, water skiing. That was a no from him. Or at least he complained about it every time someone went past.
1: Yep, most of the lakes I visited as a child had the same sort of attitude and would the the things that you could use on the on the lake were huge inner tubes or of dinghies, like the one that the young girl uses to rescue her favorite counselors. Or paddle boats yeah for sure fishing boats so There was a lot more fishing because it's that's what it's about Now we do have a really cool fishing boat scene in this uh fishing boat versus water skier mm-hmm. which is infamous and wonderful and it, it does inject a little more fiery action it does it,
0: it does there's like a straight up like explosion with like a boat stunt in this movie and you're like holy shit
1: now, if someone watches this and thinks that there's a big difference between this and the remake that came out in 2010, um, there is, except for this scene. This scene is where the two m- are married because yeah. you get this sort of uh, balls out, weird, beachy girls in bikinis driving around this with a, without a care in the world and they're uh, towing this uh, hunk of a man.
0: It's a hunk. <laughs>
1: He's a total hunk. And he's doing tricks on his stupid water skis. And uh, then it becomes a, a, an exercise in terror, right? Because the piranhas have arrived.
0: He sees one of the scuba divers that have just been ripped to shreds and is floating in the water. Meanwhile, he's trying to... It's, it's like they're getting their wires crossed. And like he he's trying to say what happened. They're trying to toss him. Then they slow down and it's like, don't slow down. And then they speed up. Meanwhile, they're not paying attention to the other boats on the lake. And that's when like a crash happens and a massive explosion. Mm -hmm. The one thing that I will say about this picture in the sense of like, I lose the plot. Like I lose understanding of something. When When the piranhas finally descend onto the beach resort and it's utter chaos. People are dying. There's like a floating, like uh, tiki bar restaurant type thing. People are piling onto that. You know where this is going. The colonel is there. The colonel is out on the water in full uniform. I guess does not look comfortable. He looks hot, but he he's there. <laughs> the The scientist is there with him. The evil like Barbara Steele is there with him, and you have this incredibly chaotic scene where all of this fucking shit is happening. He's, the Colonel is still making sure you know he's a piece of shit because he's like shoving people off the boat, like, don't touch me, I'm the Colonel, until he eventually falls in and dies himself. But the one thing that I don't get, and I've seen this movie a few times, when Maggie and Grizzly Adams get the notion that they can kill these things with pollution and they go to the, the the reservoir area to, like, turn it. Why is that section underwater?
1: Now, I'm. It it is a man-made lake, and it must be something like this area was home to mining and a fish hatchery and a lot more things that we're very used to up here in northern Ontario. There's all sorts of abandoned mines and fish hatcheries all over the place, everywhere. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm probably... If I'm not on an ancient Indian barrel ground, I'm on top of an ancient fish hatchery, probably. The um, idea, I suppose, and this is what I'm just sort of guessing because they do keep it kind of vague. Mm
0: -hmm. And this
1: is what I'm imagining is that it wasn't... It's a man-made lake because they flooded this area and what it used to be was a mine. So the control center or whatever booth or, or shed or whatever that they're going to... Um, go to to open up this effluvia this (laughs) tailings pond Mm -hmm. that exists above ground so they had made this pit mine at one point built this structure in the base of the pit mine that controlled a lot of the electronics or whatever it is that is involved in pit mining operations and it controlled the tailings pond so they were pumping water out of this mine up into this tailings pond so what they're doing is having to go what used to be underground which is now underwater and open up that vent i think that's what it is if that makes sense
0: it does make sense i thought earlier in the film when they closed the dam i kept wondering is because they closed the dam did the water levels rise and then flood this area. But I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, like are you telling me every time they close the dam that there's an area that was at risk of being underwater and like you have a work area like that people actually go to and work that sometimes is completely submerged and sometimes isn't. And it's got like an old wood desk in it. Like I was like, none of this makes any sense. It's a cool sequence. I love this underwater swim sequence where he has to go through the door and go through the window, and he looks around at all this stuff underwater. I am obsessed yeah. with that. I love it. It's such it's a It's got a Titanic
1: sequel. vibe. like yes. you're, you're doing yeah. that underwater dive that would take place uh, seaside.
0: And I think about those, you know, because we do, in the world, have towns, old towns that they get abandoned because they need to do something or a dam breaks or or something gets they have to reroute a river or whatever and so there's houses that are just permanently submerged in water and have been for decades right so like it's it's just a very fascinating uh and it's just beautifully shot like this and and while he's trying to basically (laughs) he's basically trying to uh uh, releases pollution, and I love that message in this film. Just like, yes, we should have just trusted pollution all along. <laughs> man's plastic man, straws will save us all. Man's arrogance is what brought these piranha here. Our arrogance to keep the waters clean. If the world was so polluted, animals couldn't live. We would never be eaten by them.
1: We <laughs> gotta thin out their numbers.
0: gotta thin out their numbers with some sewage uh yeah when we're seeing the 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 killing fields when we see all the people that have been pulled up out of the water dead with like sheets over them and stuff like that i love dick miller walking through that scene while they're being filmed and he's like what are you filming what are you filming like and and it's just like Oh, it's yes, because he's so horrified that they're filming dead people have some respect. I'm like, he doesn't care about that. It's like, he's ruined. He's ruined and they're putting it on national television. That's what he cares about. But he's, that That scene is just like, oh, you need Dick Miller for a scene like that. That shot of Barbara Steele was like, everything's fine. They can't survive in salt water. Dun, dun,
1: dun, dun. Yeah, no, she's so 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 sure of herself. But she must know. She must know, and yeah, just she, be she wanting must. them to kill everybody. She's like,
0: oh, by the way, I'm secretly hideously evil, and I am the Piranha Queen. Like I am the mother of all Piranha. Right? Like
1: that's what that's the angle she's going for, and she's pulling it off with that, um, like kind of aborted hair flip and crazy eyes.
0: Yeah, because yeah, um, I, I
1: really do enjoy that.
0: Because Piranha are. Um, school fish like they 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 operate in in schools and within the schools of of piranha there are alphas and there are betas and so she's just got to be i'm the alpha piranha and this is my school of piranha
1: she kind of has an mouth look to her
0: (laughs) i bet you if she were to, to, to turn away from the cameras and go into like her private place or whatever like her home or whatever and then she like takes out her false teeth Revealing razor-sharp piranha teeth underneath. Yes.
1: Razor-sharp piranha teeth and little gills behind her ears.
0: Yeah, and she was like, haha, you thought that we had reached the peak of evolution with these genetically engineered piranha, but we were forgetting the deadliest animal on Earth. Man.
1: <laughs> See, you would have written a way better ending to this. For sure,
0: I, I, for sure. I don't know if it would have been way better, but it would have had literal fish people in it. <laughs>
1: well, it was better than Felmwood 11.
0: Film, I love it. Yeah, actually, it is really funny, and I, <laughs> I I love how that um, I love how seventies that reporter looks like his big sweep and feathered hair and shit. It's so good, but it is it is just like death, destruction, wrapping up the movie because Grizzly Adams. We we failed to mention this in that, that beautiful, beautiful underwater sequence. He's getting eaten by the fish while he's trying to turn the noozle.
1: Yeah, no. Luckily, luckily he is pulled from the jaws of death and to thousands of piranhas uh, by <laughs> his pals and uh, PJ Souls. Who's not PJ Souls? It's not um,
0: Maggie's not PJ Souls, and his
1: daughter is there, and she's wandering around the death and destruction, and that's the the counterpart to Deck Miller rampaging around, trying to shoo off all of the journalists, and mm-hmm. yeah, his his life's work being destroyed, him being outed as a slime ball that he is uh, on display. We have this little small innocent girl from the village of the damned wandering around looking for her dad amongst all of the dead like and she just lived through this with all of her little camp friends and Mm -hmm. and counselors which is just so sad but then she finds her dad and she has his gin
0: yeah she's like holding this little like the whole beginning of the movie by the way uh gang he's an alcoholic and he carries around a canteen of booze with him at all times (laughs) he's always drinking
1: and she she knows this i guess the one thing that daddy needs me it's this little bottle
0: and they put it on his lips Daddy's little helper they're they're like have some of this you raging alcoholic this will give you power it's a great flick um i'm glad that you could finally sit down and watch it after all these years
1: oh my god yeah um because there isn't a mom and pop video rental store next door like there ought to be went to amazon it's on amazon and canadian amazon prime used to be like so bad and they didn't even have a horror section but they've really upped their game as far as amazon so if you've paid for prime and you have amazon video i mean check out their horror section because it's not it's not as cool as the american one nothing ever is Mm -hmm. but it's good. Like, it's got piranha.
0: I used uh, my sexy Scream Factory Steelbook addiction, addiction. It is an addiction. Addition. <laughs>
1: you do have a sexy Steelbook addiction.
0: Addiction, yeah. I, I got the, uh, with the cool art on it. Yeah, I used I used my uh, Scream Factory Steelbook edition of piranha to watch because, like, you know, I'm a fancy boy, and I like to do fancy things.
1: I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Soon Soon enough, we'll pick something that I own that's fancy, too.
0: That's true, and then I'll have to, like, go digital or something like that. Um, speaking of which, what have we got next for them?
1: Coming up next, we have I Don't Know, Wes. What do you want to do next? Because we are going to probably do something else Summary. I don't know if you want to go into King, Stephen King a Palooza or what.
0: Yeah, I don't know. This was definitely a good movie to ease back into, though. I feel a little rusty. I feel like... I got to knock the rust off me a little bit like that scene in Conan the Barbarian with like the sword and he's banging it on the rock and stuff like that. I'm the sword. The podcast is the rock.
1: Well, I'm glad that we have been able to come and revisit it with a nice summer camp. Easing in is exactly it. It's an easy movie to talk about. It's a wonderful movie to watch and it was summary and fitting. So yeah. who knows? Like I will, I will note that we aren't social distancing entirely because one of us is ill or we've been ill we've been very lucky we're both working we're busy Mm -hmm. and it's just safer this way so we're just uh you know keeping our our, playing our cards close by uh recording remotely so if this works well then there's no reason we won't be returning to a full schedule so we'll figure something out it'll be something summary and fun though i think summary and fun is the name of the game
0: yeah summary and fun to keep things light and uh but you know if people Uh, are looking for you. You have 700 episodes of Typical Books now?
1: (laughs) Yeah, they're easy to make. And I've actually started a few other like fun side projects, which I can record on my breaks during work, (laughs) which take 15 (laughs) minutes to make. That's uh, the, the key for Typical Books is that I'll often record on my lunch break.
0: There you go. Um, yeah, that's hilarious. And um, I have um, issue nine of Teresa coming soon. You guys are interested in that. And also all the Aurora books have been printed. All the goodies have been
1: yeah.
0: they're All the goodies have been packaged with them and they're about to be shipped out uh, any day now. And uh, I've already been penned to write the sequel and I'm half done that. So that's what I've been doing
1: see that's one thing that's good about being a creator of one sort or another
0: Mm. is that
1: this sort of arrangement where we're still working sure but we've got all sorts of other reasons to be home and uh, shut down a little bit and not out and about and certainly not out spending money really yeah we're sitting at home making money which is nice (laughs) it's always nice yeah i've started another novel too so like there's some writing stuff on the horizon, but I'm glad I get to see Aurora soon. Yeah. Hot little pause.
0: Yay. I'm very excited. I'm very excited for you to read it, and I'm very excited for everyone to see it. And also, uh, check out Typical Books when you have an opportunity, because you get you release two 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 times a week, three times a week
1: sometimes? Sometimes three times a week. I'm trying to shoot for two times a week, and I might even bring it down to... Um, once a week we'll see because i'm getting quite busy i was teaching all of this time as well but another school year dawns in Mm. september of course so Mm -hmm. i get three weeks off there so i might do a little bit of pre-recording but what i'm double what i'm most excited about right now is the next episode of dead air now yeah i'm (laughs) very
0: excited i feel really happy that we were able to sit down and do this uh because fuck man it's been too long And uh, I was like, can I even call myself a podcaster anymore?
1: (laughs) Oh, Wes. It's like writing. You know, once you've written, you wrote, you're a writer. It's not like it goes away.
0: So, yeah. I'm just like like sitting back looking at my old dusty microphone just being like, I used to have it. I don't have it anymore. Come on, Wes. We need you to podcast. I'm like, "Ah, that was a long time ago. That's not me anymore. I'm not that guy. Drink my decanter of gin. (laughs)
1: All it takes is a little bit of plugging in the gear, and then you're like, ah, there we are.
0: There we are. Back in the
1: saddle again. I know every time I'd plug in this particular microphone for a Zoom meeting, I'd feel like I'm cheating in some way or another, so I'd always use a crummy mic. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Uh, No crummy mics in our future, but uh, I guess we'll see them next time. And the movie, it's going to be a surprise. I'm Last Knight.
1: And I'm Typical Lydia.
0: And you've been listening to the return of dead air.